If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiya, handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where we wave our hands in the air like we care very deeply, just so much. So get your eyebrow gel, your flask, and let's get into it. I'm Remy Ramirez, your host, and this week we're talking about the trauma of the patriarchy. You hear people talk about the patriarchy all the time, but I think it's talked about almost exclusively in like political context, activism circles, a lot in academia, actually. You don't hear about it as much in terms of mental health. And I think part of the reason for that is because of the patriarchy itself. The patriarchy doesn't want to be outed as a source of mental illness and emotional uh, destruction. I think emotional destruction is pretty accurate. Maybe that's exaggerating, but we're also coming off a patriarchy spiral in the U.S. We had the Roe v. Wade SCOTUS leak revealing that the Supreme Court is about to overturn the 50-year-old federal law that protects a woman's right to abortion. Then some racist white dude shot up a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, murdering 10 black, mostly elderly folks after posting a white supremacist manifesto. And then some other dude walked into a church in California and shot six people, killing one. And then some other dude, just 18 years old, walked into a school in Uvalde, Texas and murdered 19 children and two adults. And then some other dude in Tulsa, Oklahoma, killed four people. And in fact, there had been 18 mass shootings since Uvalde. And that was as of Tuesday. And today's Friday. The thing that links these issues beyond the fact that they're all extremely traumatizing, which is why we're talking about them here, is that they are all manifestations of living in a pretty extreme patriarchy. And as we'll talk about, that's only in part about how many cishet men are running the show. A lot of it's about who's been creating the narrative and what their goals were in doing that. But anyway, we'll get into all that. To help me sort through this, I'm so happy to welcome writer, astrologer, and former therapist, Liz Hummer to the show. Hi, Liz. How are you? Hey, Remy. I'm great. I'm really happy to be back with you to name some of this shit. Yes. Oh my God. I'm, I, <laughs> I adore you as we've talked about many times. And as a reminder to the listeners, you came on before for the epi on regaining faith in the goodness of life. But since it's been a minute, remind everyone of your astrology. Yeah, I am a Sagittarius sun and a double Gemini moon and rising. So it is a potent time for me right now. Mm, oh my God. Totally. Yeah. Because we just had a gem new moon and you're the same. So yes, pretty much. Well, and this is why I think we love each other so much because we have that Sag gem combo and we just like can talk for days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, you brought up a really great point. Um, when we were chatting about this episode the other day, 
you were saying that we need to name our privilege here because this is a super intersectional conversation and we don't personally intersect with multiple of these intersections. So thank you for bringing that piece in. And I wanted to take a minute to name what we talked about in that combo, which is that you and I are both two cishet white and white passing women talking about racism, colonialism, capitalism, among other things. And the bottom line is that these issues are disproportionately felt by people of color. So while these systems don't pose a direct threat to our physical safety, usually they do exactly that in other people's lives. So we'll do our best to navigate this conversation with awareness, but we may also get some things wrong. And if that's the case, we're totally open to being corrected and learning. So feel free to shoot me a note at patramaparty at gmail.com. The other thing we want to acknowledge is that we're not experts on this. We are two people who are really interested in this, who are studying, learning, and unraveling some of this info and paying close attention to our own lived experiences. And speaking of our lived experiences and the patriarchy, Liz, can you jump in and give us some info on why you are no longer a therapist? (laughs) It's a great question. Um, Well, part of it is my Gemini energy. You know, I can't pick just like one job or one label and stick to it. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) What's next? What's the other thing I want to learn about? Um, But it really, it was, it's a very personal decision for me. So I first want to say that it's not because I don't believe in therapy. I love therapists. I've gone to them my whole life. Me, my family goes to them. I recommend them. I really, I wholeheartedly believe in the interpersonal process that happens with the right therapist for you. My reasons for not choosing to work as a therapist anymore are, of course, entirely personal and a lot to do with just some personal things in my life. Like we're learning about some of my sons and neurodivergent and highly sensitive needs and also becoming more aware of my own. And so I needed to be honest with myself about how much energy I have to devote to work outside my family. And that is a whole conversation too around, you know, like patriarchal, puritanical capitalist values of that your worth is only, you know, how much money you make or what you do out in the world. And then battling with my own, like being a child of the eighties and like, I'm going to be a working mom and not just be stuck at home, but really now valuing that time with my family and being the center of my family in an empowered way. So there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're just continually trying to find the right balance, but in addition to that, like personal, um, realities, there's also the reality that I experienced of working in the Western medical model of mental health, which, you know, is rooted in the patriarchy. Like we're going to get into it more, but every single system that we live within right now has been developed by the patriarchy. And at the root, of that is a strategy to disconnect us from our strength, from our resources, to disempower us so that a few, yes, men, that's what patriarchy is referring to, can consolidate and hold the power. Right. And so while there is a lot of amazing things being done and like so much awareness and availability and access being done by the people who care in the mental health world that conventional mental health system like disconnects us from those empowering narratives and resources with with pathologizing our mental differences so Mm -hmm. using like the dsm criteria of diagnoses to 
you know, center a disorder within a body um, versus acknowledging, and I'm talking about the way that it's actually printed. And, and the getting, DSM, for people who don't know, will you just shout out what oh, that is? Yeah, the, the, the diagnostic, what is it? The differential statistical manual of mental <laughs> disorders. See, I have, I lost the memorization of the title, which is great. <laughs> um, but Freedom! Like, yeah, there's like five versions and it's developed by the American Psychological Association, which generally has been a lot of white men. Of course, it's been diversified by now, but they basically look at the statistics of what people are presenting and write a list of symptoms and then put a label on it. That's a diagnosis and say, if you have this many of this checklist, you have this thing. And that evolves, you know, like Asperger's is no longer in there and now autism has evolved. So it's a constructed document. It can be really empowering to learn that you have like what you experience has a name and there's other people like you or similar to you and there are ways to help it. However, when we, when we don't acknowledge that a lot of our quote unquote dysfunction and disorder is coming from living in a, you know, incredibly oppressive system that puts us in nervous system activation pretty much all the time, right? Fight or freeze, then we're blaming the individual and making us feel wrong, right? Versus looking at the bigger picture. And like, you can do great work with a therapist who does not see it that way. And I applaud hands down, thank God for people who are working in the system to make those changes. The trauma-informed lens is doing a lot to move away from that, where we're saying it's not what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. Mm. Um, But we do need to broaden the picture from like, I mean, now we're acknowledging like interpersonal trauma and relational trauma, even though the the DSM does not. PTSD still is, trauma is related to an event that like you almost die. It doesn't Uh. acknowledge chronic, systemic, familial relational really? trauma. Oh, not I didn't know that. Oh, wow. The international code of diagnoses, which is different, the DSM is used in the States. The ICD is broadening it, but there's a big call for move, for adding complex trauma as a diagnosis, but officially it's not really in there. So that's what I mean by like the system is really behind. So there's great work being done and things are evolving and advancing. It's just that personally for me, I could no longer be in integrity with my values and my own like the system, mental health and be resourced enough to be there for my family to fight that battle. Right. I, I need to be making the changes within my family right now. That's kind of where I went. Yeah. So. And I, I think it's important to talk about that because it reminds us that the patriarchy shows up literally everywhere. It's in our jobs. It's in our relationships. It's in our social structures. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere you look once you realize what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just keep the more and more and layer it. I'm just like, okay, this patriarchy is the root of all trauma, really. And if we are going to heal it, we need to understand how trauma operates and where it comes from, which means understanding where patriarchy came from and how it operates and how it continues to operate and traumatize us every day. So, you know, once we see it, we can look past it and see how to dismantle it and imagine a new way. Yes. Oh my God. hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Can't tell you how excited I am. Okay. 
So on that note, I'll start by calling out this amazing vid that woke scientist Dr. Ayesha Khan posted on her Insta account. Liz, you sent this my way. And I was like, floored. I was like, yes, this is it. Mm -hmm. She says, and I'm very minimally paraphrasing. This is almost exactly what she said. Systemic trauma occurs from living in a society that doesn't guarantee basic survival resources like food, water, and shelter. And this is me talking, I would go a step further and add in healthcare. So, and then back to her, she says, so we're never guaranteed safety or security. And so we're thrown into fight or flight, freeze or fawn. I'm adding freeze or fawn because any of the things. She goes on to say that the systems of oppression become cultures of oppression. And that's where interpersonal trauma comes from, which is like abuse, gender, sexual violence, family trauma, et cetera. From my perspective, societies that don't guarantee basic survival resources are synonymous with the patriarchy. And because the patriarchy is the water we swim in, it's surrounding us all the time and we're taking it in and considering it normal when it's just really not. I think, especially as women swimming in that water chips away at us spiritually and emotionally constantly without us really understanding why we just feel sort of depressed or repressed or enraged or alienated or silenced or something. Maybe we can't put a finger on and I'll say, you know, I don't want to speak for other communities, but I don't think it's um, taking too far of a step to say that um, the queer community and people of color and all of these other communities that are not represented within the patriarchy, which is really almost exclusively white men, but also just you know, cishet men in general, there's always going to be some, some sort of trauma response coming up from living in this water, swimming in this water. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's it. I mean, and that, and that is how patriarchy continues to, to stay, you know, that, that, that those in power, they keep people disempowered. Because right. when we have to spend all our energy just trying to survive and coping through survival responses and then competing with each other because of the constructed false scarcity of resources, because they're being hoarded, right. then we, we cannot unite and take back the power from them. I mean, this is where it's like we're living in a minority rule right now. We're like, you know, however, 60, whatever percent of people believe in, you know, having reproductive freedom and yet these laws can still be made. So um, I learned in one of my trauma trainings, this philosophy that all suffering comes from disconnection. And we talked about that in our last episode, actually kind of on a more very personal level, but disconnection from our body or our mind and that dissociation that comes with trauma responses or disconnection from a sense of safety or from resources or from even a sense of there being a benevolent source of caring, disconnection from love, from nature. So that sounds pretty familiar because that's exactly basically how our society today operates and what it seems to value. Right. And we cope with that by disconnecting even more with substances and, you know, screens and any forms of addiction. So because patriarchy is rooted in disconnecting us, it divides and creates these hierarchies to consolidate power with a few. Mm. And, you know, I'm drawing a lot of this 
from an excellent book called Caliban and the Witch. Caliban was a C. Mm-hmm. Um, characters from Shakespeare. Um, and that's by Silvia Federici. That It first came out in 2004. So it's <laughs> these conversations. And she references books from the 80s and 70s. I mean, obviously, these conversations have been happening for a very long time. And it's pretty academic, but fascinating in its detailed history of the rise of capitalism, which is one of the main tools of the patriarchy, along with religion. And how it was built on the killing and subjugation of women's and other, you know, quote unquote, different folks' bodies, like including the witch hunts. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's expanding on Marx's theory of of what capitalism is and how it operates and how it needs to change. But, and I'm no Marxist scholar, but this, I first heard the term quote unquote primitive accumulation, which is how the transition happened from feudalism to capitalism Mm -hmm. with this, what she calls the quote that I, uh, I underlined is the new patriarchal order based upon the exclusion of women and their subordination to men. And, you know, add in any of those other marginalized communities as well, or identities, people of color, disabled, queer, entirely new value structure and social order was developed and then consolidated and entrenched over centuries to validate using masses of people by the few to accumulate their power. Mm. So, you know, to do that, you first have to take away people's sense of their own power, right? Like, their inner authority, trust in themselves and each other and divide them so that they can't rely on each other, convince them that they can only survive by submitting to an outside authority. And that's, you know, mainly done by taking away economic resources and through religion. And so now it's normal. We don't even notice that we believe in the school system, the medical system, the corporate system. Right. And that that's, part of the root is like understanding how that happened, how that power got taken away and like how we need to remember coming back to our inner authority and our community. Well, hundred percent. And I love that this is kind of how we're leading into this because I want to talk about the church and talk about taking authority away from you. We are each fucking spiritual beings, every single one of us. And we have the capacity to connect with our definition of spirituality in whatever way works for us. However, (laughs) the church came along and, and this is where I want to jump in. There's no greater perpetuator of the patriarchy than the church. The church is essentially how the patriarchy came to be and how it stays in power. And I will say that I think there's a lot more that I could learn about this. And so I don't want to profess to know every single thing about this, but there are some things that I do know that I want to share. So even, even if you yourself are not religious, unfortunately in this country, this country that was founded on puritanical maniacal Christian values that led to burning smart women at the stake for being smart, AKA witches, which is just fucking next level bonkers. I mean, can you imagine like a woman who like knows how to heal you with herbs if you just like walked downtown to wherever you live and she was being set on fire in front of everyone? Like, what are you talking about? And being forced to watch because if you didn't watch, then you could be accused. Yeah. What? Yeah. You had to get on board with it or else you were that you were next. This trauma like 
lives in our genes from generations. Right. And that's another thing. Yeah. But, but this energy, it's the exact same motivating factor behind what's happening with Roe. You are still subjugated to the oppression of patriarchal Christianity. There's just no way around it. So I'll share a couple brief examples of what that looks like. But Liz, I know you have a lot of really interesting information about this too. Okay. For thousands of years before the church, as we know it today, came into being, there were tons of matriarchal cultures and societies practicing pagan and polytheistic religions. Then Judeo-Christianity emerged with this new concept that there's only one God. Some have argued that in the original text, God didn't have a gender and that that was purposely misinterpreted. But either way, eventually that singular God became a man with a penis and a beard, which right off the top doesn't make sense because if we were made in God's image, then women, the people who create life would be closest to God. And so God would be a woman. If anything (laughs) today, you don't have to be a woman to have a baby, but back then it was a different story. But yeah, all of a sudden the church was like, the Trinity is the father, the son, and then some Holy Spirit with no gender, but you know, nary a woman to be found, which to us now seems really normal. Like we don't even question it. We don't think about it, but when it happened, this was a huge fucking deal. And it was super blasphemous because they wrote the feminine completely out of the narrative. And that had never been done before. Mm -hmm. And Liz, yeah, you had a good point here. Yeah. Also in those more traditional or not traditional, but those original like earth honoring practices, there was always a balance of the masculine feminine. There was always a like God goddess. Right. So that like writing the feminine completely out. And then they turned the pagan holidays into our Christian holidays. Like every single one of our Christian holidays that we celebrate today is rooted in a pagan holiday hundred percent they built churches cathedrals on top of temples so just literally erasing but like the origins are still there right oh my god my favorite thing is to learn about easter because Mm -hmm. easter is based on the goddess oestre who was the spring goddess of abundance and fertility which is why her symbols were rabbits and eggs she was yes. about, she was a sex goddess. <laughs> Fuck yes. And it's totally astrological. Easter is always the first Sunday after the first full moon, full right. moon after spring equinox. Yes. So, and our days are still named after the planets. Like, so right. remember, like there are signs of pre-patriarchal wisdom and life connections, like all around us. Just have to mine for it. Right. If But if no one tells you, you just think that. We're like, oh, we just have the Easter bunny because it's cute. I don't fucking know. You know, no, this was a sex bunny. (laughs) Okay, so that's your kids. Yeah, exactly. So just think for a minute about how different our culture would be today if you and most people in the world were taught from infancy that God was our mother who are in heaven or our mother and father who are in heaven. If you believed that the mother was sacred and all powerful, and even, you know, if we were to, to swap with the God that we have today had the last word on what was holy and righteous, and that she was someone to be revered and feared and respected above all else. Just imagine, because even though that's so foreign to us now, that was not far 
far from how it was for many cultures for thousands of years before Judeo-Christianity came along. And I'll tell you one thing that wouldn't be in the sacred text of a religion whose God was a woman, and that's the sanctification of rape culture. The story of Jesus and Mary, that's a rape story. It's a rape story that's been dressed up in bows and euphemisms and wise men and myrrh and other bullshit to distract you from the fact that God, a man, puts a baby in Mary, a young woman, without her consent. But there are a couple key things about it that the Bible does. One, it tells us that Mary was happy about it because any woman should be happy to get impregnated without her consent. The underlying message being, if women are mad about being violated, they're unholy. They should be docile and submissive and do like Mary does and be like, Ooh, thank you for this gift. The other is that rape is a miracle, right? The story of Mary getting raped by God is called a miracle of God. And that's how the church has been sanctifying rape for nearly 2000 years, which you can see when you look at where in our country, these insane abortion laws are being passed in the Bible belt. Because these people have been indoctrinated, you know, brainwashed essentially through Christianity into believing that there is a holiness in treating a woman like she doesn't get to have a say over her body, especially when it results in the birth of a baby. And of course, as you brought up, Liz, then little kids acted out every year in their church play or whatever. You know, I loved mm-hmm. when we were talking about it, when you brought that up, I was like, oh my God, right. The baby in the manger. And then that brainwashing, that indoctrination starts all over again. Oh, this is a beautiful story about a sweet baby. No, this is a rape story with perfume all over it. And, and this is not to imply that, you know, all Christians are on board with rape. Although if you've read some of these comments on rape from different like Southern governors and senators, it's some nightmare stuff. Like, for example, this is just one of many RJ Reagan, who literally said, this is a direct quote. I tell my daughters, if rape is inevitable, just lie back and enjoy it. (laughs) What? What? To his daughter. Yeah. Wow. But I'm not saying, you know, all Christians are like pro rape, but it is to say that the teachings of Christianity God, AKA men and the patriarchy has dominion over women's bodies. Like this is, this is the underlying message and that getting consent from women is not necessary in order to create what God considers the miracle of life. Right. And we see that trauma play out in our country. Still, we're seeing it with, I mean, just the number, the sheer number of rape, but also this row SCOTUS leak. The other example, which I think most people are familiar with is the Genesis story, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. We all know they get kicked out because Eve is a wicked temptress who violates her promise to God and then seduces Adam. You know, the thing that's crazy about that story is that there's all this compassion for Adam for being seduced by Eve, but no compassion for Eve for being seduced by the literal devil. Like, what the hell? It's probably way harder to not get tricked by the devil than to cave to peer pressure by your friend. But anyway, she's a slut and an idiot and evil, blah, blah. So she gets them kicked out of Eden. It's like not subtle at all. The Bible's just straight up like women are evil and it's why we can't live in paradise. Meanwhile, men are the ones behind every single war ever in our history. But right, women are the reason we can't just chill in a garden. Between these two stories, 
we have the basis for the virgin whore dichotomy, which is patriarchy 101. If you're not familiar, the virgin whore dichotomy, which is actually what it's called, is when the patriarchy slash church, because they're, you know, essentially the same thing, tells women they can be passive and sweet and virginous, aka mothers who don't have sex and don't have opinions and don't have rage and don't have agency and are therefore holy. Or you know, they can be whores, women who have sex and have opinions and rage and power and are evil. This is why your mama jokes exist in our culture. And it's why they are almost exclusively traded between men. And it's why they're used as insults because men want to think of their mothers as being virgins like Mary. And while none of us wants to imagine our parents having sexy time, of course, Ew. gross, <laughs> Disgusting. You'll you'll notice that in our culture, there isn't a dad equivalent for calling your mom a whore because dads are allowed to have, and more importantly, they are allowed to like sex. The insult is if you were brought into this world by a woman who likes to fuck, which by the way is pretty much every single woman, which is how hands up, you know, <laughs> which is hopefully how she got pregnant in the first place. Yeah then you yourself are not worthy of respect because she liked sex. And I'll just end with this fun tidbit that's more recent. Either in 2021 or 2020, sometime during the pandemic, which is still ongoing, but during that sort of like lockdown period, the Catholic church finally updated their rule book to say that any clergy member caught raping children would be disrobed. Like, okay, cool. This is uh, like umpteen lawsuits later and only after massive public scandal, but still good policy. However, when they made this amendment, they simultaneously made a new rule that if anyone is caught giving a woman any position of power in the church, they would be disrobed and so would she. So in other words, in the eyes of the Catholic church, as of right now, 2022, it is just as bad to rape a child as it is to give women any power within the church. Think about that. That is next level. And then there's also the more recent Southern Baptist sexual abuse cover-up that revealed a 205-page list of the names of ministers who had sexually abused members of the church. That's not, that's not 205 names. That is a 205 page list. And Liz and I were chatting about this earlier and we were saying, yeah, I'm sure they're, they're publishing this number so that when you look at that, you think, oh, it's 205 ministers within the whole uh, federation or whatever it is, the whole um, organization. There. Yeah. I'm sure you call right. It. <laughs> right. But it's not, it's Cabal. A, right. It's, a list that is 205 pages long and they have not that we can find released the actual number of names within that. But just think, I mean, yeah. if, if, I mean, that's pro easily over 2000. <laughs> like and these are, these are these really, these really subtle structural things that the patriarchy where it like, I don't know if that's conscious or not. I mean, journalists make pretty conscious decisions about how they frame a story and how they use facts, you know? Totally. And so it's like, they could have used a much larger number that would stand out on the page. That would totally. be like, I don't know how many, I don't even know how many names of that, like 10,000, 6,000. I don't know a lot, 
Yeah. But they use the smaller number, you know, right. and like, you got to catch those things. Those are how this gets internalized and continued. Right. And how this shit gets, you know, swept under the rug, like, oh, mm-hmm. 205 within the entire organization over how many years? Like that's maybe that's not that big of a deal. No, it's a much larger number and it's a very big deal, no matter the number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing that it showed this investigation showed is that they for years, they essentially the church would bully anyone who tried to come forward. So they've been hiding this for a very long time, trying to keep it secret. And if you're like me and you've been binging under the banner of heaven, that Hulu show about how misogynistic, among other things, the Mormon church is, you already know that Mormonism was created by some dude who was married to a woman who super supported him, thought he was the prophet of God, all this stuff. And then he one day, surprise, gets a memo from God in the form of a burning in his penis to fuck lots of women. And he was like, well, I'm a prophet and everything I think and desire is holy. And so polygamy for life. Not just that, but Mormons are taught that Mormon wives are to refer to their husbands as their priesthood holder which gives them the right to make every decision in the family. And whether he takes her perspective into consideration is up to him because he is the priesthood holder. So what he says goes, period. So in other words, there's really not a religion that thrives in the US at least that isn't based on principles of misogyny. Even Buddhism, and I I always, like this one makes me so mad because everyone feels like if they are Buddhists. They're just completely uh, removed from patriarchal bullshit, but actually Buddhism doesn't allow female monks or leaders of any kind due to, and this is a quote, a woman's inability to reach enlightenment believed to be a limitation of her gender. Again, women and people with uteruses are the creators of life. If anyone can't reach enlightenment, it's not us, bro. But when you think about all of this messaging that women have been receiving for literally thousands of years, and then you expect women to show up and advocate for themselves at work and in politics and in all of these ways, when women have been told since day one, you know, the day that they learn that God is a man, that they are not at the center of the story. They are not powerful and they don't matter. And then of course that messaging gets reinforced everywhere they turn in their sexuality. When a guy comes and then rolls over and goes to sleep, when dudes ignore their ideas in meetings, when they get made fun of for having periods and told that their bodies are disgusting, when they're not believed after being raped, when their bodies are objectified and used for procreation purposes, as we're seeing with this road decision, which by the way, and this is super important to name and I'll shed more light on slavery in a second. But black women have historically lived out the handmaid's tale in this country. That's already been their reality. During slavery, black women were literally raped in order to make more slaves for the plantation and make that white family richer. They were not seen as people. Their bodies were used to make powerful people more powerful through rape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also it's important to point out that actually our entire modern practice of gynecology, which is a very surgical based mechanistic view of, of health and women's bodies was developed using torturous experiments on black women in the 19th century. Yeah. So centuries after killing off the midwives 
to discredit their healing, the, the women that, that knew the herbs and knew women's bodies and knew the cycles, then these supposedly expert men didn't know what the fuck they were doing with women's bodies, of course, and just use them as lab specimens. It's disgusting. Yeah. So uh, it starts to get, you know, it all starts to get overwhelming and these things like weave together. Um, we'll talk more about uh, race, white supremacy, capitalism, and it's all connected to, to religion. And I just wanted to comment a little bit on everything that you shared too, from my experience growing up Catholic. So that kind of swimming in it from, from birth, I went to Catholic school. I did, you know, all the sacraments. It never felt right though. You know, like this is where that inner authority, external authority comes in where I'm like, why do you, why does that random guy in a, in a robe up there, like have the answers, you know, what, what is this all about? Why, why is it all dudes, you know, tell me what to do. <laughs> right. I like, I remember I was an altar server. These like kids that carry the candles, help the priest basically during mass. And it was like the biggest fucking deal that they just started letting girls do it. And that was in the early nineties. Wow. And it was like, woo, like I'm a pioneer up here. And I was like, wait, how, why, why is this a big deal? Like, why was this ever a rule? Right. You know, it doesn't, yeah. none, it doesn't, kids know, it doesn't make sense. Right. And then, you know, things like going to confession when I was eight years old, alone in a room with some old guy priest who, thank God he wasn't one of the pervs, but still having to confess some quote unquote sin as an eight year old kid. Yeah. And be given a penance. Like I have to beg to be worthy, to be loved. I have to cleanse myself of all that's wrong with me. I mean, it's just one of my skeeviest memories. And I remember it in such vivid detail because it was traumatizing. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's the bottom line. I could go on and on about the church for days. And I want to be clear too, like this, I am not disparaging spirituality. I mean, this is about the structure of religion that was right. very calculatedly built to create these divisions and power differentials right. um, using spiritual language to validate what they were doing. And I think some of the saddest trauma is that is that disconnection from our own inner sense of spirituality, which is so life-giving and life-affirming and sustaining and essential for being a human being in many ways, whether it's nature or, you know, faith in your fellow human beings, whatever, like we talked about in our other episodes. So, you know, you experience the trauma of patriarchal religions and then you disconnect. You, ha I, I went completely like anti everything, but then I was missing something in my life and I'm glad I've come back around and I'm like finding it and I'm reclaiming it, but it takes a lot, it takes decades. It's taken me decades. Right. So, you know, the thing I always come back to with this too, I'm just like, why, why the fuck did this have to happen? Why were men so unhappy somehow like coordinated this need to take the power? Why couldn't we just all stay in balance? And the only explanation that resonates with me and where I can actually come back and reclaim some of my power is exactly what you said before, that, that women are the source of life, of creation. Holy shit, that is the power, isn't it? And totally. we, we need men to do that. Like that's the relationship, that's the balance. But somehow, it, I guess that felt threatening. So like dudes had to go and make an entire world order to give, convince people for generations that women are evil, 
their sexuality is dangerous or if they have no sexuality, that they're intellectually inferior and that they're, they and their bodies are only good for one thing, reproducing more workers who will make them more money, you know, and then keep the masses too busy trying to stay alive in a system that doesn't provide safety and basic needs. And they won't even notice that that's what's going on. And I get really stuck on capitalism lately and it's, you know, mechanisms of division and oppression, including colonialism, white supremacy, heteronormativity, ableism, ageism, as the main tool that continues to prop up patriarchy. Dude, hundred percent. Yeah. Capitalism, colonialism, white supremacy. So yeah, let's get into that because this is, a these are huge in terms of the trauma of the patriarchy. So let's look at the origin of whiteness and white supremacy in the U.S. So actually the concept of whiteness has not been around very long. There's a great article from The Guardian that I highly recommend called The Invention of Whiteness, The Long History of a Dangerous Idea. It's by Robert P. Baird. Let's go back in time. It's the 15th century. Catholic Europeans have come over to the Americas with their patriarchal religion. They were looking to get rich and powerful. So they destroyed the cultures and lives of tons of indigenous people in order to do just that, which, by the way, feels very spiritual. And this, friends, is why women are incapable of being enlightened, because obviously men are the most enlightened beings on earth, evidenced by the history of the Catholic Church. (laughs) That's just me being mad. Okay, fast forward. 100%. Britain wants to get a piece of the action, aka money and power. And now we have English colonies, British colonies. And in 1619, a ship shows up to Jamestown, Virginia with 20 African slaves. This was the first time African slaves touched the shores of the Americas. So what were Europeans doing for cheap labor before African slaves? Because here's the thing. The patriarchy was going on for a long time before the colonies, right? So if we know anything about the patriarchy, we know that they divide people. We know that they use people as commodities, their bodies as commodities to like make a very few rich and powerful. So how were they doing that before African slaves? They had indentured servants. These people were white, quote unquote, because whiteness didn't exist yet, but they were basically for all intents and purposes, slaves. The only thing was there was a rule that you couldn't keep Christians in lifelong servitude unless they were criminals or prisoners of war. So they were basically slaves with an expiration date. We were just in Europe with their indentured servants. Let's scoot back over to the Americas. Plantation owners in the 17th century were using both indentured servants who were white, but more importantly, Christian and African slaves who were neither of those things. The plantation owners were freaked out that the indentured servants and the African slaves were going to team up and start rebellions and turn on the plantation owners because they literally did that in a rebellion called the Bacon Rebellion, right? So now all the plantation owners are like, oh, fuck, we don't want that happening here. So to keep the indentured servants from joining forces with the African slaves, they gave them very tiny, very meager privileges that the Africans didn't get. And that created this sense that the servants were superior. But there was a problem. The problem was that Christian missionaries were like, yo, we need to induct these Africans into the Christian faith because that's what we do. We go around like a fucking plague on the earth with our patriarchal religion, forcing it on everyone. 
But that created a problem for the plantation owners because if they did that, then the plantation owners wouldn't have a reason to view the Africans as infidels and to therefore be able to justify enslaving them for life. So in order to be able to continue hating them and to justify keeping them enslaved for life, they created a new kind of divide, which goes back to Liz, what you were talking about before Mm -hmm. the patriarchy finds ways to divide people, right? A new kind of divide between the indentured servants and the African slaves. And that was this new concept of whiteness. The servants who had privileges rather than be called Christians were now called white. And the Africans who weren't given any privileges, they were called black. And now it was their blackness that made the plantation owners able to hate them and justify enslaving them. And it looked like this. We already had patriarchy in place, thanks to religion, which taught everyone that God was basically a sociopath. He put you through all these tests and made you work super hard to prove that you loved him, like killing your own child and, you know, whatever. It was all fire and brimstone, which eventually translated into cultures of cutthroat competition and hierarchies and having to prove your worth rather than being inherently worthy, which, by the way, is what you see in tribal communities because... In tribal communities, everyone had something important to give in order to make the community stronger, right? But now we're in these competitive, every man for himself, patriarchal cultures. We're applying competition to the idea of resources, which is capitalism, right? So instead of pooling all our resources as a community, which is what tribal communities and social structures did, Now we're competing against each other for survival and trying to get super rich and not giving a fuck if that means someone else suffers. Because whereas before in tribes, your survival and my survival are interdependent, right? Like I need what you bring to the table and you need what I bring. Mm -hmm. Now your loss is my gain. You get poverty, you become a slave. I hate you for whatever reason. And then I get rich. So fuck you. That's how we had indentured servants in the first place. The practice of slavery was pretty much already in place by the time the Americas were colonized. That wasn't new, but there was no such thing as whiteness when the Americas were colonized. Whiteness was created to support slavery in order to support capitalism, in order to support the values and ideals of the patriarchy. White supremacy thrives today because the patriarchy thrives today. That means there's no dismantling white supremacy without first dismantling the patriarchy, because let's just say we got to a post-racial America, which we're certainly not anywhere near that right now, but let's say we did. As long as the patriarchy exists, something else would come in to fill that vacuum. The patriarchy requires hierarchical systems. I am the one true God. We are the one pure race. I am the CEO of this company. I am the president of this country, the man of the house, the Pope. I am your priesthood holder. I'm the prophet. These hierarchical structures that put one person, usually a man, let's say 99% of the time on top, and then someone under him and someone under him, this ladder, it's all part of the same system and way of thinking. It's the same psychology, right? It started with one God who was a man, and that leaked into every aspect of our world. And once you add in white supremacy, you have hierarchies that privilege white people, white cishet men, most of all. 
And it brings me to this quote I found by W.E.B. Du Bois, who is a black American sociologist and historian. He died in 1963. He said he very famous, very famous man. He said that the U.S. had invented, quote, a new religion of whiteness that was founded on the dogma that of all of the hues of God, whiteness alone is inherently and obviously better than brownness and tan. Those are his words. That's that link between white supremacy and religion. But what I think he overlooked because he himself was indoctrinated into the patriarchy is that there was a new religion of maleness as well, where being a man is inherently and obviously better than being a woman. That's what the patriarchy, AKA the church had created white supremacy and misogyny. Yeah. It, starts to get so layered and I almost feel like that is like the strategy of the patriarchy because right. then you'll see like one thing and you'll be like oh it's it's we're divided by race you know and then you take for granted that like there is this subjugation of women and almost like that that's the natural order of things there's some sort right. of biologically destined difference between the sexes you know even though underneath race earlier that difference was created you know, and so that's where you have to start peeling back these layers. And like, it's really challenging because these same mechanisms of patriarchy based in accumulating power with a few and using these tools of capitalism and human exploitation and sexual inequalities, gender inequalities and racism, and then many other divisions is that keeps happening like in a spiral over the years. You know, the same thing happened with the melting pot of whiteness in the early 20th century with immigration. And there were people coming from many different European countries that, quote unquote, could pass as white. Right. But they, they held their identities from different cultures. But then it was like, oh, everyone comes in a melting pot and you're all white, you know, because now that creates more more workers, more, more divide, you know, so it, it keeps happening. And it starts again with that division from our inner power. And I think about what that means, like what it means to be divided or disconnected from your resources and your autonomy and your agency as far back, I guess, as the origins, I'm basing it on the, on the Caliban and the witch timeline, but taking land from people, you know, so that they can no longer grow their own food. And now they're dependent on having a job to make a way. And now the world goes through population crises with sickness and, and evolutions and wars and things. And so, well, women need to make more babies to make more workers. And this is where we come to the policing of women's bodies, you know, and there's the policing of brown and black bodies as well to talk about reproduction as this lever of power for the patriarchy with the legislation around abortion that's happening. Right. And if women are turned into a commodity for creating more workers, then they better as hell not be in charge of their own reproduction and birth control. Right. Like that is why this isn't about some morality, although that's what it's getting colored in and always has been. But ultimately there's an economic motivation Right. You know. the, right. This abortion discussion, it's not about Jesus. It's about making more people to work. Exactly. Exactly. And like, why is it coming up again now? Because 
hello, in case you haven't noticed, we're going through a lot of turmoil and changes. People are starting to rebel against the capitalist system of worker exploitation a little bit more. There's more conversations. A, a new generation is like stirring things up and like, uh-oh, we're fucking threatened. We better hold on to our power. How do we do that? Oh, let's go back to the original playbook. Take away women's control over their bodies. Like, make sure we bring that back around. Right. So the spiral keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. And we absolutely need to talk about abortion because abort the abortion conversation is also a white supremacy conversation because the people who are going to be impacted the most by these laws and these restrictions on abortion are people of color because uh-huh. of our country's history with slavery and then Jim Crow laws and on and on our long and disgusting history of subjugating and undermining people of color, especially black people. We've made it nearly impossible for black people to have wealth. And one of the ways that we continue to do that, to force people of color into poverty is by forcing them to have babies by taking their access to abortion away because babies are super fucking expensive as we know. And if you grew up in poverty and you're depressed and you have anxiety because you live in a country where the police and the laws target you and all the people you love and, you know, could give a shit if you bled out on the street or rotted in jail. And then you have kids because you don't have health insurance and can't get on birth control. Well, now you're already debilitated because your mental health is suffering. And on top of it, you have to tend to those kids. You don't have time to learn a skill, go to school, practice your art, start your business, whatever it is. So now you yourself. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, part of that is that there's no child, there's no support for childcare either. No resources for supporting right. parents once you have those kids. That is a huge factor. Hundred percent. And I think that's another thing that we take for granted here, but it's not like that in fucking European countries. Mm-hmm. France has something where like, first of all, I think there's a year of paid maternity mm-hmm. leave or something. And then on top of it, there are government subsidized nannies who come yeah. and literally come to your house every day and help you. It's just so wild. Cause here we're just like good fucking luck with that, but also yeah. abortions illegal now in your state. So you have to have babies all day long. I mean, it's just- and if you're struggling, you're a bad mom because it should come naturally to you, your maternal instinct. And so it's, it's really all your fucking fault. Right. Exactly. Because women are the worst. So <laughs> now you yourself, you're forced into poverty with these kids and those kids are also forced into poverty and all of you just want to be able to eat something. So you're all willing to work shitty, super low paying jobs in order to survive. And who does that benefit? the corporation that employs you at minimum wage or even lower paying you nearly nothing and giving you no benefits while they make money hand over fist, Walmart, Amazon, you know, and who runs those companies, rich white men and who pays off Trump to put anti-choice Supreme court justices on the bench, rich white men. And who goes and does exactly that in order to keep his power and money, a rich white man and the patriarchal white supremacist, capitalist system is perpetuated cheap labor largely from people of color who are forced to birth in order to keep the whole system running and then if you're catholic or christian on top of all of that trauma you're also being told that you're immoral if you have an abortion and in some cases if you even use birth control there's a reason a very obvious reason why the catholic church wants women to keep birthing It's because that means more members and that means more tithings and that means more money and that means more power. It's just so simple. And Mm -hmm. while we're on the topic 
of rich white men who cause terrible trauma and suffering in order to maintain the patriarchal white supremacist capitalist system, the NRA. I don't need to explain too much about what I mean because I think it's pretty obvious. But in this conversation around trauma and the patriarchy, we would do well to remember as we continue to be one of the only nations that allows children and the elderly and everyone in between to be gunned down by racist, hate-fueled men, the NRA pockets about $400 million every year. And Ruger, an American gun company, the most profitable firearms company in the world, made $730 million in 2021 alone. And they're just one company. So all this shit about Second Amendment rights, it's bullshit. This is patriarchal capitalism doing what it does, saying, I don't care if you live or die as long as I get mine. And let's also take a minute to talk about what guns represent in a patriarchy. They're the ultimate representation of masculinity within the patriarchy, a.k.a. toxic masculinity. They represent absolute power. In the same way that there's only one God and he's a man and he can destroy you and you will respect and fear him. That's the same psychology behind these shooters. These shooters who I don't need to remind you are men. So when we're asking what trauma comes from living in a patriarchy, honestly, I think the shorter list would be what trauma doesn't come from living in a patriarchy? Because again, It's the air we breathe. This is inseparable from our lived experience. So grief, I mean, look at everything that's been going on in the last couple of weeks. Yes, obviously. Depression, yeah. Despair, totally. Fear and anxiety and rage and self-loathing and lack of confidence and addiction. I mean, you name it. But there is some specificity I'd like to give here. One is for me, Living in a patriarchy has made me feel deeply unseen in my humanity. I don't feel human to men. I feel like I'm seen as sex to most men. I should say most men. And because we live amongst the virgin whore dichotomy, that means that because men see me as sex, they simultaneously devalue me, dehumanize me, and disrespect me. That's been much of my experience. One aspect of this trauma is that I naturally have a lot of sexual energy. I actually have arrows, which represents sexual passion and physical desire in astrology, conjunct my son, which rules your essence, your identity and public image. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. So just by being who I am out in the world, in the way I dance, in the way I like to dress, in the way I express beauty, it's infused with this sexual energy which in these ancient matriarchies and pagan cultures was celebrated, like literally sex, the sexuality of a woman was seen as super sacred because it was how life was created. It was revered. But my experience has been that when straight men witness that in me, that sexuality that's innately in me, they just want to use me for sex. They don't have any curiosity about who I am. And they misinterpret that sexual energy as being for them. Like it doesn't occur to them that I'm just being myself and they happen to be in the fucking vicinity. And that has been very personal to me. It's part of this fabric around why I've never had a serious relationship. The one time I felt like I was in love, 
it was with a gay man because he never once made me feel objectified. He saw me for me and I felt so incredibly safe, which I can honestly say is very much a rarity for me around men. Not that I think that all men are trying to physically hurt me, but emotionally, I don't feel safe around most men, either because I feel objectified or because I can tell that they don't take my opinion seriously. They don't appreciate my talents. They're patronizing. They talk down to me, et cetera. The other trauma piece I'd like to bring in is that while straight men definitively and without question have an advantage over women, trans folks, and non-binary folks within this system, men themselves are also dehumanized and traumatized by the system. When we push ideals of masculinity onto men that are impossible to achieve, being physically strong and the breadwinner and never afraid and not showing any emotion, not desiring intimacy, not desiring sweetness and love, we cause depression and anxiety and rage and self-loathing and all kinds of mental illness in men. And while I can't speak to that personally, I do want to name it because in the patriarchy, there are no winners really from a trauma perspective, which begs the question, what has worked and what can we turn to as we take steps to heal the impact that the patriarchy has had on our lives? I think one thing that's really important and we're doing it right now is seeing and noticing and, and, and calling it out because the gaslighting is the trauma, right? And we have been gaslit I mean, the whole idea that God is a man (laughs) is one of the best, most successful gaslighting campaigns ever. And it's lasted thousands of years. I mean, great job, you guys, right? Exactly. Where's, Where's the playbook on that so we can reverse it? Right. Exactly. Well, I think we're doing it right now, right? Yeah. We're naming and clarifying and boundary setting. And that's part of the healing. Just being like, no, that's not true. It's just not fucking true. I mean, some people wonder like, oh, why do we need to know the history? What does it matter? You know, like life is what it is right now. But it's like, you've you've got to know how things were constructed in order to start knocking it down. Right. You know, you've got to know how that it has been there for so long. And there's a reason why when you try to talk to your parents about it, your grandparents, they might not see it at all because it's been internalized for generations. Yes. You know, and so you have to look at also like where it comes from and then how that has morphed and showed up, how it shows up in even the smallest ways in our modern life. For me, then I, you know, I can get despondent and overwhelmed and like, how will this, it's so big. How will this ever change? Will it ever change? I do have a bit of a spiritual faith in like a long trajectory of evolution and that life chooses life. Life will win out. It's pretty hard right now, you know, but in some ways it feels hopefully maybe like the last gasps of this era of humanity. And I hope so. I I hope so. And like, I hope so too. I hope so for our, for, for us and our future descendants, you know, I have a, I have a white little boy who's four years old. And when he honestly, when I was like, I want to have a girl, I want to like, yeah, like the feminine, the mother line and the matriarchy and like teach her about her moon cycles and her blood and like all of that goddess culture reclamation. And then he popped out a boy because we didn't find out. And I grieved. Right. Uh, You know, because I was like, oh, like one, just shocked. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I didn't have brothers growing up. Like, I don't know how to relate to a boy. It feels like kind of a foreign culture to me. Sure. Um, And am I going to be able 
I don't want to raise another problematic white guy. Like how this is a big responsibility, Yeah, you know? And so, and it's not that it's the white guy's fault. Like the guy, like my partner, write This today, that guy in front of you all the time, but they've internalized a lot growing up and they need to unravel a lot. But if I have a fresh new boy right in front of me, like what can, how can I raise him to like never or much less get indoctrinated into that mindset? So that's a huge responsibility. And and in that way, like start to look toward the ways that you can unravel and dismantle the internalized patriarchy within yourself, within your home, friends, community, whatever small, seemingly small choices you can make. But if you're embodying that and being an example of that, that ripples out. And then we start to connect, you know? And so, you know, some of the ways that I do that, I kind of use these frameworks are almost like, nudges for myself like okay if I notice disconnection because to me that's like this core point of what across the board all the things we've talked about there's a common theme and so I can like if I notice disconnection in myself or in the way I'm doing things like if I'm not getting out into nature enough if I'm dissociating into my head and I'm not taking care of my body if I'm cutting myself off from other people what can I do to bring myself into connection first in those ways. Oh, can you imagine if that's what our spirituality, like what, one of the main doctrines of our, of, of, of like the, the national spirituality, which is what I consider Christianity, you know, if it was like, if it wasn't about like, go to someone and confess your sins or, you know, whatever. And it was like, find where you're disconnected and reconnect that's spirituality. Yeah. Seek connection wherever is going to give you a sense of peace and nurture you. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be another person. It can be great food you want to eat. It can be whatever, but, and, and also like the ways we, we cut ourselves off with our inner voice, you know, when we disconnect, like, believe me, we've internalized a lot of voices that are patriarchal voices. You know, I talked about the productivity in the beginning and that sense of worth, if it's only connected to money and like, even just the ways that I judge myself and like create inner hierarchies, like, oh, are they better than me? Am I, you know, what's wrong with me? All of that stuff is not to like yell at it, but to, to notice that that's coming through and, you know, soothe it. Like, okay, you're coming from that conditioning and I can choose not to believe that right now. And like, can I, what can I choose that's more in connection and reciprocity, you know? Mm, Totally. Another framework I use is that internal external authority. So noticing when you've given power to something, to someone, anything could be a big entity. It could be just another human being that somehow Mm -hmm. they know more than you, that somehow their opinion matters more than yours, you know, just noticing when that that feels icky and then come back to like, well, what, if that feels icky, like what's that message trying to tell me? What is my inner wisdom trying to get heard here? Validate the way you see things and that you have wisdom as well. That little practice can really help to just shift some of the ways that these are internalized. And then we are still living in the system. We live within it and I don't know that it's going to be completely dissolved and evolved in our lifetime. Yeah. And so like, how do we cope with that when, you know, I still have to make money to live. Um, I haven't fully found a community that's all barter. Right. Totally. (laughs) I like living off the land together, although I would love to. Um, But, you know, starting to do that in as many, again, like the small ways that you can. So like, I like to look for any ways where things can be relational versus transactional. And a lot of that comes back to like, 
you know, we talk about local food systems and buying from local makers. It starts to become a catchphrase, but that is really important. Those are the kinds of choices that you can make that that say, like, I stand for different values than the patriarchy. Right. Um, things like I'm in relationship with my food because I know where it comes from. And I've my money is now circulating within a local community. Um, things like mutual aid that are the Internet is actually making better in many ways. Um, so those are some of the things that help me on a day to day basis. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I have to unplug from the fire hose of shit. <laughs> that yeah. is the reality out there and not feeling guilty for that because you can't sustain making change and being there for yourself and others if you don't take a break. Yeah. And I'm someone who's like super big on Insta usually. And speaking of the patriarchy, after the Uvalde shooting and all of the information that started coming out about the police who are very much, we didn't get into that too much, but the police are the patriarchy, you know, and the way, I mean, let's just review. They showed up, they took their own children out. Then they prevented parents from going Mm -hmm. in to save their children to the point where they were handcuffing them and tasing them to prevent them from going in. Uh, And they just let the shooter continue shooting children, innocent children. I mean, it was atrocious. It was so sick. It was so beyond the uh, lack of humanity was so far beyond what I could handle. Like I had, I, I have not really fully gotten back on Insta. Yeah. Um, Just because every new thing that came out, I was, I was feeling further debilitated. So it's not about burying your head in the sand. It's about knowing yourself well enough and loving yourself and caring for yourself enough to say like, I need a break before I can go back in. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously clearly we're doing an entire episode on the patriarchy and the horrors (laughs) of it. We are not into, and nor we do, do we advocate burying your head in the sand? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Okay. So another thing that I wanted to talk about was in this whole, like, how do we how do we cope in this system? It's just the idea of subverting the paradigm. And there are so many ways of doing that. Kind of what this comes down to for me as a woman, as a cishet woman is there's so much shame. And this I know goes, I think the queer community could probably certainly relate to this. And also people of color, the shame that has been forced onto my body. Right. And, and, and the ways that the, the patriarchy perpetuates that. And one of the biggest ways for me is like I talked about earlier, my sexuality and the sexualizing and objectifying of women's bodies. Right. So like, for example, men are allowed to walk around with no shirt on. Right. And, and the fact that men walk around with no shirt on all the time and the, and, and that they don't get raped you know, (laughs) because, and it's because like, if a woman does that in the patriarchy, she's asking for it, right? She's a slut. It's so interesting because it's like my son even recently said, boys can take off their shirt and girls can't. And I was like, whoa, what? Like, there's no way you've gotten that in our house. We're a naked family, equal opportunity, nakedness and nipples here, free the nips. I was like, what, where it's crazy. You just, you don't always know where the things are coming in. We have, we had a conversation about it and we talked about our nipples and, you know, and so that's where it can, we can start 
dismantling some of that, but yes. it, it's still amazing how quickly it gets into. Right. Well, and it speaks to how omnipresent it is. We mm-hmm. are swimming in it. It's everywhere. Right. To the point where a child who he's four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just like adopt that <laughs> out of nowhere. And you're like, what are you talking about? We've never, I've never instilled that in you. Exactly. And for me, you know, one of the ways that I have done that a few times is I have posted topless pictures of myself that were in, in no way sexual. And it's because I feel very, I think probably a lot of people read it as maybe, you know, me asking for attention or wanting sexual attention or something, but that's because of how indoctrinated people are. The fact is I'm trying to work against that paradigm. I'm out here saying, guess what? When I take a shit, I have boobs, you know, like my boobs aren't here for your fucking sexualizing viewing pleasure. I have them no matter what. And I get to have them and I'm human. And it, it doesn't mean that I'm trying to turn you on because my boobs are here. They're just here because they're here. (laughs) And you can love them and you get to love them and not have them not be for anyone else, not be for babies, not be for men, not be for anyone else, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's just one example, but there are so many ways of doing that. Like I literally like to talk about, uh, poop, barf, you know, burping, whatever. Um, because I want people to know, as I mentioned, part of my identity is just naturally this sort of sexual identity, sexuality, and not in terms of having sex a lot, but in terms of this energy being alive. That, yeah. Being alive <laughs> in this fucking energy that I carry and, yeah. and I fart and, you know, I get bloaty and like gassy and I get depressed and all these other things. For me, there is something very important about holding these, what are traditionally and patriarchally considered, um, dichotomies, right? A sexy Mm -hmm. person who poops, (laughs) you know, like being able to occupy those spaces at the same time as a fuck you to the patriarchy. Well, and here we go. I want to keep coming back to this disconnection, reconnection thing. But to me, we've, we've had to cut ourselves off from parts of ourselves because, oh, they've been labeled shameful Mm -hmm. that are not labeled shameful, the same for men. And so what does that do? That creates this divided person, this disempowered just feeling ashamed of yourself and not in your power. And so that's another way of reconnecting, reclaiming and saying, no, I am all these fucking things. I'm not a pure virgin. I'm not a slut. I'm not on a pedestal. I'm also not in a gutter. Like I am everything at once. Like Shaka Khan said, I'm every woman. It's all in me. You know? Yes. Yes. That should be our outro song. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, I probably could not afford the rights to that song. <laughs> Damn it, capitalism. I was going to say, thank you, patriarchy. Um, yeah, and so another thing I wanted, and yes, thank you for bringing in shame because shame is a, is a tool of the patriarchy. It is how yeah. the patriarchy has really, it, it's a psychological tool, right? And it's a way of controlling people. It's a way of keeping people in line. And so, yeah, if, if you find shame coming up in you, you know, as a woman, as even a cishet man, when you cry or have mm-hmm. a fucking feeling, you know, it, different. So the myriad of ways that, that the patriarchy has tried to shame people of color, queer folks on and on and on and on. When you feel shame come up, ask yourself, is this me 
Or is this something that I have been brainwashed into believing? Well, yeah, because I I think inherently, I mean, aside from evil acts of violence against people like there, or, you know, there aren't bad parts of us. I don't know. Like for instance, I am notorious. I am notoriously horrible at waking up in the morning and like, I'll be late for things. I sleep too late, blah, 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 blah. I have, I have so much shame around that. I'm lazy. What a piece of shit I am. Like, like my internalized shit, my voice around that. And I had to do so much work. Not so much, but just it's one of those things that comes up a lot for me because it's a relatively mild shame, you know, considering other deeper things that it could be about. But it's still there, like this lingering thing. And, and one thing that has helped me is to, is to just flip it. I look at the shame and I'm like, all right, well, what's the opposite of thinking this is bad? And it's, I, I love dreaming. I'm a total dreamer. I just, I love it. It's just like, it's a creative place for me to be. And so I like feel like I took my power back out of, out of the very nugget of shame that, it, that there was. Oh yeah. I love that. Yes. Flip it. Flip that bitch. Yeah. And I also wanted to say when you support people rather than compete with them, when you lift up the voices of people of color and queer folks, when you find ways to pool your resources with others, when you speak up against these systems of power, these are things I've been mindful of that make me feel like I'm doing what I can to dismantle this shit because it can feel very overwhelming and like we're powerless. Right. And these are things that you can do in your immediate world that can help. But, but when it comes to how I've taken care of my mental health as a woman in the patriarchy, I'll be honest, I super fucking struggle. I bring it to my therapist a lot. I allow myself to cry a lot. I seek refuge in and community with other women a lot. And that looks you know, a lot of different ways. For one thing, I lean into my witchy practices and I actually have a witch guide who um, teaches Ooh. me a lot about her, her practices of witch, casting beautiful spells of abundance and how to connect with goddesses and um, how, to, how to take care of ourselves in ways that are connective and nurturing. She should be on an episode. Actually, you're so, oh my God, you're right. I should have Tess on. She's amazing. Uh, and I, and I also lean into things like tarot and astrology and good, witch occult shit, like I mentioned, you know, beautiful spells because it's ancient feminine wisdom. I'm also meditating more so I can connect with spirituality on my terms rather than through these mm-hmm. patriarchal frameworks where women have no power. Mm-hmm. Once what I've learned is that I can tap into some really mm-hmm powerful shit, like premonition stuff and deep intuitive knowing and stuff that if I were just listening to this voice, that was like, get the job that pays the highest, you know, Mm -hmm. find, find a partner who looks good on paper, whatever, all of that stuff, my life would look totally different right now, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I lean into this inner knowing, right. And it's Mm -hmm. completely divided from anything that the patriarchy has been trying to tell me. No, not listening. No, thank you for saying all of that. That is exactly the path for me too, that I have found coming back to myself and my spirituality. And honestly, like healing so much anxiety that used to be debilitating for me. Like can't get out of bed, debilitating panic attacks, just going to a job because, Hey, I don't really like working in an office nine to five in this stupid factory 
right. capitalist culture. Oh, really? Surprise. It's not healthy. You know, things that I thought I had to fit into. And now I've just given myself so much permission and support and gotten to know myself in these deeper levels that I can feel the truth of what, what life is. I can feel the truth of what life is. That is my spiritual practice. Mm, yes. And that is the connection to your inner knowing and to these um, balanced spiritual practices, right? That are not condemning women <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. not condemning the feminine, you know? Yeah. I love that. And I, I also want to name that taking good care of yourself. And this was something that you alluded to earlier, Liz is something that we can all do as individuals that works against the patriarchy as well. And, and I also, um, want to credit a black woman for initially coming up with this. It was Audre Lorde, if I'm not mistaken, who originally was like, Mm -hmm. dude, self-care is a political act of rebellion. So you know, the patriarchy, because it stems from religion, which tells you that you're a sinner from birth and you have to do all these weird, unnatural things to make God love you, like not masturbate and not have an opinion outside of theirs and whatever the fuck else, you know, it teaches you essentially to hate yourself. So when you choose to take a long bath, when you choose not to take that job, that's offering you more because they don't respect that you need rest. When you say, Hey, my feelings matter you know, to another person. And by the way, if you don't respect my feelings, I can't be in relationship with you. When you get a mental health practitioner or take yourself to the, to the doctor or the healer, you know, to the massage, whatever it is, all of these things we do to give ourselves the most pleasurable, beautiful, healthy life without hurting anyone else. They work against the patriarchal dictums that say, You need to dedicate your whole life to work and money and hating yourself for having body hair. You know, you should Mm -hmm. be exhausted every day. Why? Because I make money when you work yourself to the bone. You know, you should give your your power over to an outside entity who doesn't have your best interest at art. Why? Because that power is me and I directly benefit. I am the patriarchy, right? Blah, blah, all this stuff. Yeah. Take that nap. Journal about your ancestors. Knit that scarf. Whatever builds you up and nurtures you, that's how we worship the divine feminine within this patriarchal structure that we still live in. And Mm -hmm. on that note, I also want to name some great ways to support abortion services with a donation or to get an abortion if you need one. Abortion Funds is a nonprofit org that makes it possible for women to get abortions, especially, you know, in these sort of Bible Belt states that are super at risk. You can Google them or find them on Insta at abortion funds. There's also the abortion care network. That's great. There's an Insta account called shout your abortion. That's really good. And of course, Planned Parenthood is an amazing organization that's helped so many women with their health and getting birth control and getting abortions. Just such a great, great organization. So wanted to put that out there. And Liz, I cannot thank you enough for joining me in this conversation. This is something that we talked about months ago and I just felt like the timing was right. We have to have this conversation and I love your perspective and I so respect your journey in um, dedicating yourself to your own mental health and your son's mental health and really just aligning yourself with what feels authentic to you and uh, what you. feels healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. If people want to connect with you, is there a way that they can do that? Well, I'm on Insta and it's Liz.hummer. 
And um, and then I'm I'll be starting a Substack newsletter soon. Maybe it'll be up by the time this is out. Like, I don't know. And well, that's where I'll be exploring just a lot more of these ideas, like how we're trying to embody them in our family. This like embracing neurodiversity and anti-patriarchal living. I don't even know <laughs> matriarchal living, balanced living, and trying to disconnect as much as we can where we can from capitalism and live our values. We're just trying to find our own creative way forward. And it'll be nice to share that with anyone who's interested. Fuck yeah. Awesome. I love it. And if you want to get a hold of me, I am at Remy's on Insta and I'm also available via email. You can shoot me a note, uh, patramaparty at gmail.com. It doesn't have a the in front of it. It should, but we fuck that up. (laughs) (laughs) So it's pajama party at gmail.com. And if you feel like this pod has resonated for you, if it's, if it's doing good things for you, feel free to rate review, subscribe. It really does help. And, uh, till next time, baby, enjoy the party. Thank you.